You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This time around, I'll be looking at issue number 17 of The Nom, which takes place in June 1967, a month during which Respect by Aretha Franklin was on the top of the charts. Respect has a longer history than being one of the Queen of Soul signature songs. It was originally recorded by Otis Redding, and Redding's version is actually quite different to the point where it's recognizable as respect, but it can be appreciated in its own right. The most famous portion of Aretha's song, and play the R-A-S-P-E-C-T part, was written by Franklin and done so that she could express her strength as a woman. The song became an anthem of the late 60s, and honestly, it's hard to think of the 60s soul sound without it. In fact, during the summer of 1967, when Otis Redding pretty much brought the house down at the Monterey Pop Festival, he jokingly introduced the song by saying that it was a song that, quote, a girl took away from me, a friend of mine, this girl, she just took this song. Our title this time out is Back in the Boonies. It was written by Doug Murray, penciled by, by Wayne Van Sant, inked by Jeff Isherwood, and lettered and colored by Phil Felix. Mike Higgins was the editor. Larry Hama was the consulting editor. Pat Redding was the managing editor. Mike Rockwitz was the assistant editor. And Tom DeFalco was the editor-in-chief. It's a lot of editorial. The cover by Bob Camp shows Clark, Santos, Rubino, and another soldier trudging along colored in a pink hue while an African-American soldier's face looms in the background looking out at us. At a glance, this looks like Rob, but upon reading the story is more likely another soldier who is introduced in this issue, uh, White. It's an effective cover that suggests that there may be a death, and by the way the issue opens, that may be true. We open in June of 1967, and the Big Red One takes on three Viet Cong battalions. Or at least that's what the company commander is telling Alarnik as they meet off over coffee in a nicely decorated conference room, and they're briefed about the latest mission, which is the ongoing effort to pacify South Vietnamese villages. Back of the 23rd, the guys play cards, and Santos mentions that he's short, 25 and a wake-up, before they're inter- interrupted by Alarnik, who tells them that they need to be in full gear and on the chopper in about an hour. Rob protests that saying he's down to six men, since both Santos and Mills are short. Alarnik doesn't care about, quote, short, and tells all eight men in the hooch to suit up. Too hot, tiring, and very uneventful days later... Santos is grousing that he has 23 and a wake-up left, and everyone else is complaining about Alarnik, which we all know they've got more, they've more or less been doing since the new lieutenant showed up. The next morning, Rob goes to talk to Roland, who, of course, has been drinking, and Roland tells Rob that he won't have too much to worry about, at least as far as being undermanned goes, because he's got some fresh troops for him. The next day, those guys arrive. They're Phillips, Daniel, and Meacham, who are transfers in other units, and Dan White and Rich Geigerich, who are green. Santos asks Daniel how he wound up in the 23rd, if he was originally in the, in the Big Red one, and Daniel says, well, he got into some trouble because he's very good at doing impressions, and apparently he picked the wrong person to make fun of, so they sent him to the 23rd. 
Clark asks how Meacham wound up there. Meacham tells the guys to call him Pig because he's the heavy machine gunner, and he relates a story where he was in a hot landing zone, and when he saw several of his friends killed in a bad firefight, he went a little crazy, kind of like Bill Duke in Predator after Jesse Ventura gets blown apart. And since none of Pig's friends were left alive, he decides to transfer to another unit. Santos wonders why they picked a gunner when Light is their gunner, and Rob says that Light, who was the guy who wound up back in the hospital back in issue number 14, is headed stateside for treatment. He probably won't be coming back. The guys turn their attention to Phillips, who is very brusque, and says that he never talks about the past, and Clark just asks about the Greenies. There's a quick comparison to Ed Marks, and Santos starts flipping through a Playboy, saying that he doesn't have to worry about greenies because he's short. Rob points out that the next day they all, and he means all of them, have to take in the walk in the woods. Santos gets pissed off, he throws down the Playboy, but Rob tells him to calm down and hands him the magazine. White pulls Rob aside, the two of them go for a walk, and tells Rob that he's afraid. Rob says not to worry because anyone who says they're not afraid is a liar or nuts, and he tells them to get some sleep. The next morning, somewhere in the boonies, three choppers touch down and Alarnik tells Phillips to take the point. Brooks spots some blood on the trail and Alarnik orders them to hurry up because the blood is getting fresher. Rob tells Alarnik to slow down because they've got no security, but Alarnik says if they slow down, they won't catch the enemy. A moment later, they come upon a village. Alarnik sends Brooks and White to cover the paddy and as they do, one of them steps on a mine and they both go flying. The guys take cover and spread out, finding one of the two guys who is still alive. Rob goes to call for a dust-off, and Alarnik swipes the radio out of his hand, saying, You can't call for a dust-off. Charlie's going to get away. Rob says they need to help their fellow man, but as he's saying that, Clark says that the guy is gone, so Brooks and White are both dead. Alarnik cancels the dust-off, and the guys now walk gingerly because of the presence of mines, and head into the village. Several minutes go by, and nothing is found, and it starts to rain. Alarnik wants to know where the farmer he spotted went, and Rob said he's long gone, and he probably left when the mines went off anyway. Rob suggests the dust-off, and Alarnik replies, You don't like me very much, do you, Sergeant? Rob replies, I think you're dangerous, Lieutenant. Dangerous to me and my men. Alarnik yells, They're my men, little. Remember that, and orders the dust-off. Unfortunately, he can't get a dust-off because there's too much rain, and the 23rd has to hump it to an established LZ for pickup. They carry the bodies with them, and as they reach the landing zone, Clark asks Rob, What do you think, Rob? We've got to do something. In reference to Alarnik, Rob replies, Yeah, something. But what? The last panel is Clark holding his M16, and Rob continuing, What are we going to do, Andy? So I usually start off my review portion of the episode by talking about the story, but I want to start talking about the art of the issue first, because it's great. Van Sant and Isherwood really do action well, especially on the issue's splash pages. The first splash page is a depiction of U.S. troops firing at several Viet Cong in the background, and the art is really nicely detailed, with each GI in a different pose. And though the enemy is smaller in shadow, there's a lot of movement going on there as well. I also like how Van Sant and Isherwood on pages 2-3 through three show the contrast between a meeting in some nice place palace conference room along the higher-ups, and a conversation between a few of the guys in the hooch. The splash on page 5 of the chopper on the helipad with the guys coming off at sunset is nicely drawn and nicely colored, as is the landing on page 14. They're going for some serious realism here, and it makes these stories work. Something else that I noticed uh, was pretty interesting was that the two new guys, two of the new guys, Phillips and Meacham, a.k.a. Pig, kind of look like they're out of a G.I. Joe comic. Meacham being the big gunner type and being black 
bears a little bit of resemblance to Roadblock, even though he's got hair, Roadblock doesn't. And Phillips with his blonde hair and chiseled face kind of looks like he could be like Hawk or Duke. G.I. Joe at this time was still doing pretty well, so this might be a bit of an inside joke, especially since Larry Hama was one of the editors on the title. Maybe I will go look this up and, and see if I can get an answer out of that. Anyway, the art serves the story well. It's kind of cliche that White, the kid who comes to Rob and says he's pretty scared, is going to wind up dead by the end of the issue. But it comes in a way that you don't expect. You figure he'll die in a firefight, not by stepping on a mine, and it further illustrates Alarnik's character. Alarnik is in no way focused on the well-being of his men, and that's obvious by the number of times he overrides Rob's orders for, or suggestions, then even flat out says, you know, there's his, there's his men. Being that Alarnik is so much more aggressive than the way Top was in the first seven or so issues of the series, I think Murray is setting something up, and by the way the camera focuses on Clark's gun in that issue's last panel, the suggestion is that perhaps Alarnik will wind up getting fragged. In the meantime, though, we have a good story about how what seems like a routine mission can go wrong pretty quickly, and while the sight of the mind-blown body in the brush is jarring, it's just gory enough not to feel gratuitous. We have our good guys, we have our bad guys. Too bad they seem to be on the same side, right? But seriously, though, Murray's moving at a good pace here and continues to give us good stories where we care about the characters, and just like last issue ends on a note where we want to see what is going to happen in the next issue. That the time frame between this issue and next will be a month, we can only imagine the ire of some of the boys in the 23rd will have for Alarnik. When I get back, I'll have historical context, letters, and ads. Well then, uh, Scott, can you do me a favor? What's that? I've got an episode coming. Let's see. It's called Magnus Remembers uh, Superman Returns, so uh, don't listen to that episode. It, this is all kind of, it's all part of my Superman Begins like miniseries that, I, that I'm uh, going through, or was going through. This is all part of the uh, lead-up to Man of Steel coming out on Blu-ray, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got two little interludes. Uh, the first... Lucy, shut the f*** up! <laughs> Sorry about that, it's the dog. <laughs> Prentice Magnus punches reality at twotruefreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Prentice Magnus punches reality every Tuesday at twotruefreaks.com. No animals were harmed in the making of this promo. The Big Red One, or Fighting First, is the nickname for the 1st Infantry Division, which was established in the United States Army of May of 1917, and is currently based out of Fort Riley, Kansas. The nickname Big Red One comes from the insignia patch that those in the 1st wear on their shoulders, which is a huge red number one. We get one shot of the first in this issue, and it's on page one before we see the company commander first talking to Alarnik, who seems to be awed by the fact that they got out of that firefight. And I think we can definitely see that Alarnik's desire to be able to tell stories like this, his lack of self-esteem as a result as well, is what motivates him to act the way he does in the field. The other mention of the first is that PFC Daniel was kicked out of there for being too much of a clown. Meacham mentions that he was part of Poison Ivy. That is a reference to the 4th Infantry Division, which was also raised for service in World War I, but was very active in World War II and was deactivated after the end of that war. 
It was then reactivated in 51 and arrived in Vietnam in 1966. Most of the divisions served near the Cambodian border during the war, although some brigades were moved around here or there. The nickname Poison Ivy comes from the division's insignia, which was a sprig of ivy, and as a result, the troops called themselves Poison Ivy. The issue of Playboy that Santos is flipping through based on the cover illustration by Van Zant and Isherwood is April 1967. The cover features a blonde woman in a men's shirt and tie wearing a leather biker hat and holding the striped pant leg of a man standing behind her. The cover model was Cheryl Schrode, but the playmate of the month is Gwen Wong. A quick Wikipedia blurb about her reads Gwen Wong born Gwen Lipscomb in Manila, Luzon, Philippines, is a Filipino-American model and actress. She is Eurasian, being a mixture of Chinese, Scottish, Spanish, Australian, Filipino, and Irish. She was Playboy Magazine's Playmate of the Month for its April 1967 issue. Her centerfold was photographed by Mario Casilli and Jean Trindley. As Gwen Lipscomb, she appeared in one film, The Watchmaker, playing the role of Fong Kual. Today, she is an artist who specializes in body casting. There's not much specific to the Vietnam War during June of 1967. Throughout the month, the Mobile Riverine Force mobilizes in the Mekong Delta using swift boats to try and halt the Viet Cong presence in the rivers that branch off from the Delta. Otherwise, on June 1st, the Beatles release Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. From June 5th to June 10th, Israel and Syria fight the Six-Day War over on the West Bank, Gaza Strip, Sinai Peninsula, and Golan Heights. It ends in a UN-mediated ceasefire. On June 12th, Loving versus Virginia, a landmark case that ruled that bans on interracial marriage were unconstitutional is handed down by the Supreme Court. The Monterey Pop Festival is held on June 16th, and on June 23rd, 10 years to the day before I was born, <laughs> U.S. President Lyndon Johnson meets with Soviet Premier Alexei Koskin in Glassboro, New Jersey for the three-day Glassboro Summit Conference. Johnson travels to Los Angeles after a, for a dinner party at the Century Plaza Hotel, where earlier in the day, thousands of war protesters clashed with L.A. police. And you'll notice that over the last few episodes, I've started to include more non-war historical information. It's because there are times when not a lot happens in the war, but also because this by the middle of 1967, we're clearly in the middle of what we in popular culture often refer to as the 60s, with a capital S. And just one quick glance at the events of 1967 on Wikipedia shows a turbulent year that I know only gets more turbulent as we go into 1968. So I think it's important to highlight events at home, even if they don't directly affect or reflect events of the war. Incoming for this month. Not as crazy as last one. And Doug Murray did... did uh, respond to a couple of these we have uh bill figueredo who writes about um dogs and and rats and and bees and 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 the animals that he would uh the water buffalo the animals that he would encounter during his tour in vietnam uh and and he's describing them in detail and and doug says thanks a lot bro you've got a point i'll try to work on our quote-unquote friends from the animal world in the future maybe a little tough on our readers though to see what happens to the cute puppies, the Ville natives pressed on to our boy, pressed on our boys as gifts. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, David Cornelius of Cincinnati, Ohio, asks, "Don't you think Ed was act? Uh, this is about issue thirteen. Don't you think Ed was acting a tad selfish and conceited? He kept men- mentioning his shortness. On one occasion, he tells Rob that his days being short and having chances of being killed, he shouldn't go out. Their lives at risk too." 
And Doug replies, um, it was generally set up that a guy who was short got to spend the last two weeks or so at base camp to avoid tempting fate. So every troop getting short was the ultimate, and Marx was just reflecting everyone's point of view. After the, all, the idea was to last your year and go home in one piece. Tom Stubbs of Temple Hills, Maryland, writes about uh, how this doesn't glorify war, like Marambo were missing in action. It tells the war with the pain and the suffering. He says, I have a favor to ask. During the summer of 1965, late July, early August, my mother and I flew from Travis Air Force Base to Hickman Air Force Base. However, the plane ended up landing at the International Airport. This plane was full of GIs on their way to Nam. There was a nice young man sitting next to me. To put up with me at age seven, he had to be nice. We played games, and he even let me lean on him when I fell asleep. Being seven, I asked him a question. I asked, what will you do if you get killed? An innocent question, but all those years I wondered if he was. It's a long shot, but maybe here one of his friends will read this and let me know what happened. I must try. Okay, here's the letter. If anyone knows what happened to that particular GI, drop Tom a letter. Or let me know through incoming, and I'll pass it along now. One GI I know didn't make it. Ken Henning died this week, late October. He didn't die of wounds received in battle. Rather, he died after a long fight with leukemia, brought on by exposure to Agent Orange. Ken was much a hero as any man who fell in the war, and men like him keep dying of invisible wounds every day. I never met Ken Hanning, but just wrote to him. But he was my brother in arms, and my friend, I will miss him, Doug Murray. Nom notes for this month. Long, long one this time, boys and girls, to so study up. AO, Area of Operations, the area unit is responsible for. ASAP, of course, as soon as possible. Big Red One, the 1st Infantry Division, bought the farm, got killed, was given that six feet of land or a grave. Butter Bar, a second lieutenant, by tradition, the lower-ranking, stupidest of officers until they prove themselves in combat. Fort Swamp, Fort Polk, Louisiana, known for its swampy ground. FNG, New Guys or Greenies. Headcount, an innovative way to number killed enemies. Intelligence did it by counting dead bodies, heads, and multiplying by a convenient number. Hot LZ, a landing zone under fire. Humping in the boonies, in the field looking for action. Insertion, dropping into an area via chopper. Make believers, kill them. Pig, troops named for the M60. The Poison Ivy, the patch of the 4th Division. RT, RTO. Radio telephone and radio telephone operator. Contact with everyone else. Snake and Bake, an NCO school graduate. VC, of course, the Viet Cong. And Walk in the Woods. Like in the fairy tale, something bad always happened in the woods. Ads this month. Captain Power is now on the inside. Ooh, Captain Power has displaced M&Ms as our inside front cover ad. I still have no idea what Captain Power is. I think I've talked about this one enough times that I'm going to have to look it up. We have the same Marvel pins ad, but on top of that, instead of the universe thing we have, don't be furious, get curious. Ever been bothered because you didn't understand how something worked? Ever wondered why some animals behave the way they do? Ever wished you could find out the secrets of nature and technology? Well, you can find out. Join in the discovery. Watch the TV science show created, especially for you. Three, two, one, contact. It ex- takes you around the world to explore the world every day on your public TV station because you know contact is the answer, is the reason why everything happens. Contact is the something, is the something, 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 something. Three, two, one, contact.
have American Comics ad, and they are advertising something called The Pit, which is not an Image Comics thing. Um, I looked this up, and it was... Uh, if you believe in, if you live in Pittsburgh, get out now while you still can. The Pit. Uh, it is a one shot or a graphic novel or something that was sort of the beginning of the end story of the new universe in which the entire city of Pittsburgh gets blown up. Um, which I think had something to do with the thing we saw last time around that that I thought John Bogdanov drew uh, of you know some of these some of the in this thing will kill a million people. And apparently. Burn drew it, according to this, and it is blisteringly hot. And it says that the universe becomes radical. It's really hard for me to read the print in this comic. It's just the paper kind of smeared it. Universe becomes radically different, built around anti-utopian future. So again, the the, the universe was just uh, it's on its way out at this point. And I think they, there's like one series that that comes after it, and it's about it. Sales Leadership Club prizes or cash again. Haven't seen one of those in a few issues. East Coast Comics in Trenton, New Jersey. More comics ads and a hodgepodge ad that's offering, well, genuine GI dog tags. I had a pair of dog tags. I bought them at the American Museum of History when I went back in 1988. It was during the time they were showing that Superman Many Lives, Many Worlds exhibit. Uh, and I had the poster for that for years, and I don't know where it is. And I kind of wish I still didn't know where it was, but uh, that was a cool exhibit, and and I love love the American Museum of American History or National Museum of American History, whatever it is in the Smithsonian. It is one of my favorite museums, uh, right up there with the Air and Space Museum, of course, and the National Gallery at Leader of Art. I, I, living in D.C. for a few years after college, I really took advantage of it as much as I could, and really really enjoyed going to museums on on weekends because I'm a nerd. Uh, another hodgepodge ad with the Marvel Supermart, uh, the Wacky ID Kit, be a registered werewolf, official-looking photo ID card, easy to apply, peel and stick lamination, ha, ha, ha. Um, and you've got the same Marvel subscription ad, bullpen bulletins, Jim Novak, uh, the production department head is leaving to freelance, um, Virginia Ramita is taking his place, Adam Blaustein will be leaving the special projects department. Um, and David Wool, who has been working on Ohatmu, is taking over for him. And they were moving offices. You know, the profile is on Bob Harris. And, uh, okay, so the pit... The future of the universe has changed forever. Written by John Byrne. And Mark Grunewald, and drawn by Sal Buscema and Stan Drake. So that's that's what that was. Otherwise, in the back, one giant step for Dragon Kind, TSR's Forgotten Realms. The future is here for millions of AD and D game players. That is an ad that would run for years and years and years and years. And there's, I know that like I read, I listen to a lot of podcasts that do the do comics from this era or or comics from the early '90s, and it's almost like we should we should all get band together and kind of find the precise moment where like the role playing game ads and the hodgepodge ads and all these things kind of died out, uh, and 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 comic ads became more splashy. It's probably somewhere in the late in the mid to late '90s uh, where newsstand distribution just kind of dried up and. 
you know, you had more movie ads and video game ads and those sorts of things. But it would kind of be interesting to see kind of the evolution of the, of say the hodgepodge ad or these rogue playing game ads and stuff over time. And, um, as, as markets for that shrank and other markets grew. But anyway, that is it for the nom number 17. That is it for this episode. Come back in two weeks. I'll be finishing up this story involving Alarnik and his, uh, well, less than nice attitude. Uh, until then, thank you again for listening. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom. The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of the Nam. I